0: Hello, welcome to the Beatles Books Podcast with me, Joe Wisby. You can find me on Instagram with the account at BooksBeatles, where you can see me posting my Beatles book collection. My guest today is writer and editor Oliver Krask, who joins me to discuss Indian Sun, his major biography of Ravi Shankar, published on the centenary of his birth. Ravi's relationship with the Beatles, in particular George Harrison, forms a key and central part of this book. We can now examine why Ravi and George's friendship was such a key part of both their lives. Oliver Cross, hello and welcome to the Beatles Books Podcast. How are you?
1: Oh uh, very good. Uh, thanks, Joe, and thanks for inviting me on.
0: Absolutely, my pleasure. Um, you bring us Indian Sun: The Life and Music of Ravi Shankar. Uh, I just wanted to start off. Initially, by discussing a little bit about your early encounters with with Ravi, Uh, you were involved in his 1997 autobiography. Um, So I wanted to discuss a little bit about, first of all, how that came about. How did you find yourself in a position to write that? And what were your early kind of memories and experiences of meeting Ravi?
1: I was working for um, Genesis Publications. um, And maybe some of your readers know Genesis because they publish lots of Beatles-related books. Um, but I, I was sort of very new, um, fresh-faced uh, uh, young editor working for Brian Roylands, who was the, um, the uh, remarkable boss and publisher of Genesis. And he, uh, he was great friends with George Harrison. And he, he knew all four parties, in fact. But he had uh, published I Me Mine way back in 1980-ish, which was really his entry to uh, publishing books on uh, sort of rock and roll generation. Pretty amazing entry, uh, to be honest. (laughs) And he'd published other books by George and um, he's gone on to publish uh, later on. uh, He went on to publish uh, Ringo Starr's Postcards with Boys and sadly no longer with us. He was a really remarkable man, Brian. So I really, you know, I owe him completely for the opportunity. He uh, for some reason thought that I was the right person to go out and um, uh, work with Ravi Shankar on on uh, um, his what was his second autobiography. The um, introduction was provided by George. Uh, George Harrison wanted re- to kind of in- uh, arrange some things for Ravi Shankar's seventy fifth birthday, which was coming up, uh, which is a sort of measure of his you know of his love for, for Ravi. And um, there was the autobiography. He also uh, put together a box set. Um, uh, highlights of Ravi's career which George um, co-produced that so uh, yeah for some extraordinary uh, reason a great piece of luck I was um, given the job of flying out to California to go and meet Ravi Shankar um, in December 1994 and um, I you know I mean I at the time I um, you know I, I think there's some kind of element of fate in this I can't help but think that um, because I wasn't, you know, the ideally qualified person to do this. I mean, I, I loved my 60s music. I certainly had done, I knew Ravi Shankar was, I'd done my research and and so on. Um, I also had a, a, a an Indian girlfriend at the time, um, Shahini, who's uh, now my wife. And um, this is probably a, a, quite a useful card because uh, not only was she Indian, she was also Bengali, which is, which is, Ravi was a Bengali. Her name is actually an Indian, the name of an Indian raga, Shahini. Um, so that, that, like, perhaps these, these things, uh, who knows, maybe that sort of helped me in, in the sort of initial stages, but basically Ravi was a very easy person to get on with. He's an incredibly warm, welcoming, open, intelligent person. He was, you know, he was kind of the center of attention. You know, you felt that when you were in a room, he was always, he had this sort of aura about him, but he was, he always like had this great generosity of spirit that he was want you to feel comfortable. You know, he was a great host in that way. So he made it easy, really. You know, I mean, I was—he I was he was 74 mm. and I was 23. Incidentally, the same age that George Harrison was when he met Ravi Shankar, <laughs> um, just 23. Um, but somehow for me, the age gap just didn't seem to matter. You know, I mean, I, you know, obviously I was kind of in awe of him to a certain, yes, to, to a great extent. But um, on a sort of human level, it was quite, it was very easy to get on with him, you know. And I, I kind of seen this with lots of other people. He was very good people of all ages and backgrounds and he had a great kind of charm and charisma and um, mm. you know a genuine kind of human connection that he made. So yeah that's really how it started yeah, yeah this is late 60s uh, late late um, 1994.
0: Okay so if we could bring it up to the to Indian Sun itself um, I, I, you obviously you make the kind of tacit suggestion that this book was something that Ravi kind of selected you to do uh, at some point obviously after the autobiography had had come out you you know I'm guessing you maintained a a friendship and a a connection there why do you think it was you that that kind of uh, he felt could could do this and was this a book that you straight away thought yes I'll do this or was it something that you kind of really considered maybe not doing or, or, or took a long time to kind of mull over?
1: I took a very long time over it. Yeah, I mean, but the the thing is, when I first met him, the focus was was very much to do to create ragamala. You know, I was working for the publisher. That was the focus. Mm. It's just that along the way, he kept saying several times. He kept saying, "Oh, this can come out after I die." You know, he would sort of bring up something or 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 say, "Oh, it's not for the book," but you know, the the clear idea being there would be a later use for it. So he kind of put me in that position. I, I don't know why exactly, except that I think that. The tr- there's a sort of trust there from the start on both sides. And um, mm. that was wonderful. Uh, he, he lived till 2012. He was 92 when he died. So um, that's a long time that passed. I mean, it had occurred to me uh, a lot that, you know, that I should, you know, I'd often thought I should maybe do my own book in effect, because what we created was his autobiography, his, his, his uh, ragamala. And it is a different thing to do. You know, it's a different kind of uh, project to write your own book about somebody else but it was really only after he died that I actually committed to it. I've been thinking very seriously about doing it, but, um, Mm. uh, kind of, I had resisted that role a bit. Um, I think I sort of initially felt I'd, I'd, I'd done Ragamala, Then let's, you know, it's it's, it's not my job to do another book on him. It took me a long time to sort of realize I was actually rather well placed for it because I knew him very well. Mm. Um, and it was all that trust and, um, plenty of time had passed, you know, he had lived another, um, 15 years of, you know, very busy life and so on. And, and I just got sort of drawn in more and more, I think, you know, you get, you find out more and more. And he was such a fascinating person, you know, such a rich life and I felt there was a lot more to say about him. Um, so it was really after he died. Um, yeah. That I, I decided to commit to doing it. Yeah. I don't know if we should talk at this point. I mean, it, um, while I was at Genesis um, uh, working on, on Ragamala, um we also worked on the Beatles anthology book for which i was a um one of the editorial team on that mm. um and as i said um, brian you know had these uh all these connections brian Rowlands, uh in in the rock world i mean i also worked with george martin on his uh, memoir playback so um the, the you know there's a lot of connections there mm. going on uh, so i had fantastic opportunities mm. um and of course george has had, uh, been closely involved with ragamal himself he'd, he'd been a sort of overall editor of it and he'd written a foreword and so on. And um, I interviewed him. I'd, I'd met him at Fry Park. Uh, Brian and I had interviewed him for the book a couple of times. And so i would met him quite a few times up there, uh, which, was, which was fabulous. It was so, so um, exciting and very interesting, you know, to get to know him a little bit as well, you know. Yeah. Um, to was to understand the relationship from both sides. So that, that brings
0: us nicely on to George. Obviously, we, um, I can... Guarantee people, there's a huge amount in this book uh, of, of fascinating stuff about about Ravi's kind of early life. Um, but we're here to, to obviously to focus on on George and the other Beatles and the '60s connections. So I thought I could kind of start by asking: in the Beatles anthology film, George starts talking about uh, his initial kind of interest uh, for Indian music, and he says in the interview, he says, "I kept hearing the name." Ravi Shankar, or Ravi Shankar, as George would say. um, I I kept hearing the name Ravi Shankar. Someone said to me, you know, uh, you may like that. So I was kind of curious if you could, if you can, if if it's at all possible, explain to us how that, it was Ravi's name that that George kept hearing in in the mid-60s and not another Indian musician.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's no accident, really, because he, he was very much the person who was leading there's a sort of pioneering of Indian classical music in the rest of the world. He'd had a, he was already a big star in India. He'd had a very rich life. I should mention a little bit about his childhood. I, I, I don't want to go off on too many tangents. There's so many with Ravi, mm-hmm. but he had been a dancer and musician in his brother's dance troupe. His brother was a famous dancer, Uday Shankar, and they had been based in Paris in the 1930s when Ravi was a, a child, a youth, he was 10. Um, when they moved there. And they toured Europe, they toured America. They were a real sensation. And there's a there's a great anecdote that George told about how he was once um, driving Ravi somewhere uh, and he put on on his stereo, he put on some Cab Calloway because, you know, George loved Cab Calloway's music. And he thought, oh, well, Ravi probably won't know anything. He'd probably think this is really weird music or something. And Ravi goes, oh, no, no, I, I saw Cab Calloway in the, in the Cotton Club in 1933 in, in New York. So, you know, that's the kind of, that's the kind of life he'd had. He, absolutely extraordinary. He's all popped up everywhere. Mm. But in the meantime, he, he'd uh, gone back to India. He'd, become, he'd seriously studied the sitar for years and years. He'd become a master. He'd become a big star in India. And, but he was all driven by this idea of taking the music out to the world in a way that hadn't been done before except, you know, you could say perhaps by his own brother, in, who, who, who was a dancer, though, but they'd, they'd had, you know, musical instruments as part of the dance group. So he starts touring in 1956. and 57, he uh, he came to the UK. Uh, he went to America uh, and really had to sort of build from scratch. You know, the, he was playing smaller shows, uh, really building an audience. But, you know, he's, he's just a sensational performer. Plus, he was... Uh, he had a real sort of warm charisma. People liked him a lot. He was a great, you know, he spoke good English and French and uh, he, was a, he was a really ideal kind of proselytizer for a, a, a new music. And to some extent he was pushing on an open door because there was more interest in India, you know, in those, those, that period. But he really, you know, there was also a hell of a lot of people who really had no interest or, or, you know, didn't know anything about it. So he had to be this kind of, um, this, this pioneer. But you know, before he came to attention of George Harrison, uh, there were plenty of other famous people actually who were uh, you know musicians who, who had picked up on him. Yehudi Menuhin, Benjamin Britten, the, the classical well Menuhin, the great violinist, mm-hmm. Benjamin Britten, uh, the composer. They both encountered Ravi in India, in Delhi, in the fifties, and both had been you know really blown away by him. Uh, John Coltrane the great jazz saxophonist in, in New York in uh, 1961, Ravi had, had come across him and he actually taught Coltrane. He'd given him some lessons and Coltrane was really influenced by Indian music. You see that in his, in his, uh, his modal jazz. And, uh, and around the same time, well, it's, it's late 1965, Ravi um, meets Philip Glass mm. in Paris. They are actually working together on a film score at a time when Glass was, Um, unknown but he also was very influenced by Ravi and he he, to this day describes Ravi Shankar as one of his two most important teachers so Ravi is around a lot his concerts are reviewed you know say in the UK his concerts would be reviewed in national newspapers the times the telegraph and so on You, you can you can find these really rave reviews so he's around he's out there but it's you know it's obviously on a slightly more refined level. It's a, you know it's, he's playing classical concert halls. It's only in 1965 that he starts to reach the, the pop music audience, and, and folk music as well slightly before that. Mm. Um, so that's why he's that's why George comes across him, okay. um, and you, you get this uh, you know George has this sort of great revelation in 1965. He first comes across Indian music on the set of Help. Uh, in that bizarre scene in the restaurant where there's a, 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 a bunch of musicians playing and they're not playing anything like Indian music at all. In right. fact, the only one in, in, Indian instrument there, but it is a sitar. And so on, on set, George picked it up and messed around with it and thought, this is this is intriguing. And then there's the famous episode when, when um, he was dosed with LSD that summer in 1965. And he had this sort of revelation where he... He came out of it fascinated by the yogis of the Himalayas. Yeah, yeah. You, you know that story. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
1: And that completely plants something. And he's fascinated by Indian spirituality. Mm. And it's really interesting to sort of think about, you know, where did that come from? But it seems to mean something very deep within him.
0: He says in the anthology, he says when he first heard, I don't know, but I think maybe Ravi's music or just Indian music generally. He said it felt very familiar yeah. to him. I think it's a yeah. fascinating idea of, of the idea of you hearing music that you've never heard before. Yeah. Obviously, you know, in, it, it wasn't music that was on the radio. It wasn't, wasn't going to be on, you know, Radio Luxembourg or Radio Caroline. Um, but no. it, he, sorry, he wouldn't necessarily have heard it. But it, the idea of it feeling familiar, I think, is a really fascinating it's, kind of thing. It's space. fascinating.
1: It was actually, um, Mark Lewis pointed out to me one of his wonderful bits of research, which was that um, <laughs> when George's mother was pregnant with him, she used to listen to this program on on uh, on on the BBC called for the Indian forces. So this is wartime radio, right? And they used to play Indian music on Sunday mornings, and she used to listen to this program. So you know, that's an incredible connection. The idea that George heard it in the womb, you know, and so it was sort of maybe something familiar. Uh, you know, later on, as you said, Ravi was his music was on the radio. He was on BBC okay. radio from the from 1956 onwards. Right. So it's possible, you know. Um, you know, George is like thirteen then, so it's possible he had to heard something on the radio mm. without really quite realizing he'd heard it. For him, that was a great sort of revelatory moment. It's like this: there's this whole kind of spiritual culture that gets revealed to him mm. by his first acid trip, mm. and it's all tied up with India as well. You know, and it was in the culture at the time. You know, Indian music became this kind of, you know, became really attached to um, a, a, you know use of psychedelic drugs and so on you know mm. among the kind of pop stars and that kind of rock and roll world you know
2: that was kind of my next question
1: was obviously
0: the the Beatles then start to use Indian music in their in their songs Norwegian Wood is a quite crude example um you know looking back on it and things like Tomorrow Never Knows uh you know you mentioned in the book things like um, if I needed someone, there's similarities in tone and phrasing. Yeah, in there, obviously on Re- Revolver, you've got "Love You Too," which is you know an entirely Indian-based song. I-, I was just curious, just to ask your view on what you th- do you think it was that appealed to the George and the Beatles about Indian music so much, so that, that they would introduce it into their music. And also in, in the book, you kind of suggest that Ravi was a little bit nonplussed by this kind of sudden explosion of, of Indian music and also things like the kinks and the stones incorporated into there. I mean, was that accurate?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that, it, you know, Indian music is organized differently from Western music. Uh, for example, there's the use of the drone, which was something that was really alien to Western music in, you know, until the early or mid sixties. Um, uh, it, it's there in about the 12th century, but it goes out of most Western music. Um, you, you can hear it in sort of bagpipes and folk music and so on, but drones were really unfamiliar, uh, but they're a really key point in, in Indian music. You don't change the key. Um, you just have, you just stay on, and, and underneath the uh, sitarist's melody line, you, you've usually got a Tanpura line, which is a, another string of instrument, which is just playing the, uh, the, the, the usually the tonic and the dominant for, for musicians out there. But just basically playing essentially one note underneath. Mm. These days, we're quite familiar with music like that. I mean, electronic music is full of drones, okay. you know, we're, we're, it's all around us. But, in, you know, if you think what it was like in 1965, this is pretty unfamiliar. And so that's one reason why Tomorrow Never Knows sounds, well, it still, sound, it still sends shivers up my spine now. It's an amazing piece of music. But at the time, just imagine what that sounded like, it's how different that was. And it starts off, you've got this drone underneath it. The first thing you hear is a Tanpura drone. You know an Indian instrument on that, mm. so you know it's they've really picked up on this. I think there was there was something different different about this music. It's organized differently. you know you've got no harmony in Indian music. Um, it's all about melody and rhythm on another level, you know the instrument sounded kind of exotic. Um, you know there's definitely that element of exoticism in in, in in the appeal of it. Lots of things about Indian culture were were suddenly very fashionable. Um, whether it's, you know, meditation, yoga and incense and, um, uh, and the spirituality and, and for George, it was always tied up. The music and the spirituality were very much tied up together. Um, and ultimately the spirituality was even stronger for him than the Indian music and his love of Indian music was massive. Mm. That, that was the the strong connection. I think the other Beatles, of course they had their, their meditation phase as well. But also musically, yeah, I think they were fascinated. You know, Paul McCartney talked about how they listened to Indian music and, you know, they get to the end of a record and they realised that, wow, they didn't change the chord at all, you know, so, you know, there was just one chord the whole way through, you know, and to musicians, I mean, they were such sharp musicians, you know, the way they listened to everything, they would pick up that kind of thing immediately and, and, and you know, want to incorporate it into their music. So, so they and other, other pop musicians were doing that in 65, 66. It, um, Norwegian wood is, you know, it's basically just a sitar solo line that's played really like a, like a lead guitar, really. It's not really, there's nothing particularly Indian about it, apart from the instrument that's being used. And George had really only just picked up the sitar. He'd, 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 um, been inspired that summer. Uh, he'd, would met the birds in, in LA and, he, uh, David Crosby had, um, was one of the people who said the name Ravi Shankar to, to George Harrison and, and, uh, when he comes back from there, he immediately buys himself a sitar in London, You know, starts playing, he finds a teacher. Uh, I was unable to find out who the name of this was, but it was somebody in London who was a student of a student of Ravi's. He hadn't met Ravi at that point, but he, he pretty soon uh, recorded, used that sitar. It was the very first day of recording for um, uh, Rubber Soul. Mm. They, they, they did um, Norwegian wood and he puts the, the sitar on it straight away. And then he continues to be fascinated by Indian music in, in the sort of late 65, early 66. He goes to see Ravi Shankar play at the Royal Festival Hall in November, 1965. Uh, he talks about it to Maureen Cleave when she interviews him in early 66, raving about Ravi in this sort of uh, rather amazing interview where he's, he's sort of imagining himself inside Ravi's sitar. <laughs> you know, he talks about this sort of in a rather dreamy way. You know, he, it's, a, it's like, it's, you know, it's such a great moment of revelation for him. It's, it's, um, but yeah, you're asking me what Ravi felt about all his passion. Um, he was bemused, definitely. Um, later on, he said, you know, that like a lot of classical musicians, he was initially kind of um, slightly, maybe looked down his nose a bit at pop music, especially for somebody from India who, you know, who hadn't grown up in, I mean, he had encountered a hell of a lot of music, including jazz and, you know, other things um, from way back in his youth. But you know, I think he hadn't come across anything in pop that um, really made him think these are great musicians. And you know, he was basically his, his musical friends at that point tend, in the West tended to be classical musicians or jazz musicians. But so he was he was bemused by the phenomenon where you know pop musicians were using Indian instruments um, and to some extent the kind of structures in their music. Uh, yeah, there's a great quote where Revy says that. Um, this is in the summer of 66, he said that using Indian music to make pop songs is like learning the Chinese alphabet in order to write English poems. So that's his kind of initial reaction. But that really changes when he meets George um, that summer.
0: Well, I was just going to come on to that meeting, actually. Um, you, You date it in the book as July 66, the first time that they probably encounter each other you say also in the book that George tended to find meeting you know, meeting people with inverted commas be they celebrities or politicians or whatever as hollow you know there's no way that's something that he would say about first meeting Ravi um, just an obvious question really what was their friendship something that happened instantly from that that, that night uh, and what do you think you know, as you mentioned earlier, that age gap was was there, just like it was with you and and Ravi. Um, What do you think they got from each other? You know, they they wouldn't necessarily be mates as such.
1: Well, excuse me. Well, I think that George, um, he he was, he he really wanted to meet Ravi. Mm. And uh, the the meeting was arranged at a dinner party in North London by a mutual acquaintance, a a, a man called Ayana Angadi, who ran the Asian music circle. And uh, George was keen that it should be like a sort of private meeting and not something that was set up for the media or something in public. Um, So he obviously sensed that this was important. And I think on his part, there was a sort of reverence already for Ravi at that point, uh, which is, you know, in the sort of traditional Indian ways, the kind of is the, the natural feeling for the disciple, for the guru. You know, you have this reverence. And yet, when they met, they they definitely connected on a way that was also friendship. They were both great sort of punsters, you know. <laughs> uh, they obviously shared a sense of humour. Um, so I think it worked on different le- on both levels. Um, Ravi was also used to as a as, as a guru himself to having students of different level, uh, different ages. So I think that that was not unusual for him to be sitting with a somebody of twenty three and getting to know them teaching the music you know so that he had that he was used to that and he probably made it he re, he lessened any age issue okay. i mean that was my experience certainly um and, and i kind of understand that in terms of you know he was very good at people of all ages mm-hmm. so yeah i mean george yeah you know he said afterwards about how he found you know all these people he'd met uh to be kind of hollow experiences you know including of course the ultimate being elvis Mm-hmm. Um, who was their great hero and, you know, proved to be a great dis- disappointment when they met him. But Ravi, you know, no, he just, he was, he's, you know, he, he was so impressed by him. Uh, why was that? Well, I think there was a great sort of seriousness about Ravi's music. He saw that this was a seriously good musician. Playing this music, he was now really, really attracted to. So he felt there was somebody really great here. And then there was that personal bond, you know, that I was just talking about, that they obviously got on really well. Um, and then I think, you know, that Revi also helped to sort of open open up Indian spiritual world to him. You know, Revi's not a kind of spiritual guru. He's not a Maharishi Mahesh Yogi figure. And But spirituality was important aspect of his life and his music. The music and spirituality were kind of entwined and George liked that, that, you know, this was a sort of, there was a kind of spiritual practice to it you know, that was tied up and, and Ravi was able to sort of say, introduce him to things like, well, he, the, the book, um, autobiography of a Yogi, mm. um, by Yogananda, which, um, George said was, you know, just, just the greatest book he'd ever read, you know, it was, it was, and it, Ravi gave him that in, the in 66, you know, um, so they, they had these sort of different level levels and different ways that they, that they bought, they bonded, you know, and, uh, as a result of that, Ravi invited George to come out to India that autumn, to come and study with him, which he did in Bombay in, 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 in September. And he spent about six weeks, isn't it, five or six weeks, I think, yeah. um, there and, and traveling around the country, um, which was you know, really important for for George and for their relationship you know, in, in taking it on to another level.
0: Uh, again, just harking back to the anthology film again, that comes at that kind of crossroads when they finish touring. And, Paul's doing the family way, soundtrack music, John's doing how won the war. And then George says, you know, and I went to India and, you know, you can see in the con- in just in the interview that he gives that, you know, his face changes. He goes away from talking about the Beatles to talking right. about his first time going to India. And it's, yeah, yeah it's it, it, obviously it was something that was very important to him as obviously he would go back, you know, numerous times just, just moving on a little bit. Through the Beatles' music and and Indian music in 1967, on Sergeant Pepper, we are presented with within you, without you, which you know again is another entirely to my ears Indian piece of music. Just a you know a, a slightly kind of obvious question, maybe did Ravi have a view on on that song and some of the other Indian music that the Beatles did, um, and was there ever a thought? I mean, again in the book you mentioned that. I think Ravi was in London around the time they were recording that. Was there ever a thought that he could have come in and, uh, and played with the Beatles?
1: I, I don't know whether they ever raised it. Mm. Um, it's always possible that he, he did ask him. N- knowing Ravi and having thought about his whole life and career, I think he would have been very reluctant right. um, because actually you find he, he did do plenty of collaborations with other musicians but it always ended up being on his own territory where Ravi was writing the music and they were playing Indian uh, ragas and talas the Indian uh, musical forms. So I don't think, you know, that's a really interesting question. <laughs> if the Beatles invited him to come in and, you well, know, do an Eric, do an Eric Clapton, come and play a solo. I suspect he'd have said no. I mean, it's, it's okay. you know, it's, it's quite, an, it's quite an odd, Thing, you know and i don't know whether anyone ever did ask you know well uh, you obviously they're that.
0: playing Indian music you know mm-hmm. within you without you is an indian based song to, again to my yeah. ears uh, again love you too is also you know there's there's a lot of Indian instruments on there yeah it, it, it just seems odd that especially by the point we get to sixty seven and you know he's George and Ravi at that point are, are, are friends that the phone wasn't picked up, and do you want to come down and 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 play a lot would his do you think his sound would have fitted naturally with something like within you without you?
1: I don't know. I just think it's 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 um, a, a situation that I can't really see how, how it would have arisen that uh, that Ravi would work that way. Okay. Uh, you know, the person he was working with in 1966 that he did do a recording with was Yehudi Menuhin, which is, this is a very different world. This is a little mm-hmm. classical solos and duets. Uh, I mean, it's it's really interesting. I mean, "Love You Too" is really George's. Um, it's like making a pop song using the structure of an Indian classical raga. It's like a three minute Indian wow. raga as a pop song. He hadn't actually met Ravi at that point. It's no, really no. interesting, you know. Uh, so he'd been taking these lessons from somebody else. And then Within You Without You is, um, I described it in the book as a kind of mashup of Indian classical and semi-classical styles. It's George pulling on different things he's heard in the last sort of 18 months to going to India. And he always said it was, um, it was inspired by a piece of Ravi's that he'd recorded for All India Radio. Now, I've kind of looked into this. I can't find a specific piece. Um, I think what, what happened was that he had heard, a, uh, it was actually a stage production called Nava that Ravi had recorded in India in 1964. It wasn't for All India Radio. I think George just made a mistake on that. Okay. And George was completely inspired by this. I think what he really loved was the, combination of several different Indian instruments on it. It was ensemble playing. Uh, Because Indian music, Indian classical music is typically a kind of solo form. You you know, when we we think of Ravi playing on stage at somewhere like Monterey Pop Festival, there's him on sitar, there's his great tabla player, Alaraka. There's just basically two key musicians and there's a Tanpura player behind. It's a solo form, but Ravi had actually in India really pioneered ensemble playing and orchestral playing with Indian instruments. And I think George has really loved that. Mm. So that's what you're hearing on Within You Without You is him, uh, he's arranged it for several different instruments there. And uh, yes, he's using Indian rhythmic cycles. He's, you know, he's, and and, and Raga's. Um, would George, would Ravi have ever played that? I, I think the trouble is that if Ravi had gone into the studio, he'd have said, no, let's do it like this. Right. You know, it'd have been a completely different piece of music. You know. And, um, without putting George down, down at all, um, mm. to play Indian ragas at a very high level is an extremely difficult thing to do. And um, early on, you know, George was not producing a kind of the right kind of sound, or he hadn't had enough training in how to play particular ragas or whatever. So I think that you know that would have been really quite awkward for Ravi, because he would he would have basically just had said, I, "I want to do it like this instead," you know. And who knows? You know, that just <laughs> probably wouldn't have worked. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, that's a sort of interesting counterfactual, I suppose. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: If I could move on past the Beatles, the next point that Ravi plays a, a part in George's story specifically is the concert for Bangladesh in 1971. I'm, I'm curious, just a few questions around this. What was it about this um, event crisis, whatever you want to say, that was so kind of dear to Ravi? And just about the, the concert itself, um, was it something that, that he enjoyed? You know, I mean, it, it's looked back on now with a large amount of affection. It's been reissued a few times and there's, you know, box sets, etc. cetera. Um, was it something that he liked doing?
1: Um, yeah, very much. I mean, uh, he, um, as I said on, earlier on, Ravi is a Bengali uh, at independence, an Indian independence in 1947 what had been the historic um, region of Bengal was divided into two. The, the Western half stayed in India, the Eastern half became East Pakistan. And that's the territory we're talking about in 1970, late 1970, mm. early 71. Uh, there's a great struggle in that territory between the Bengalis there and um, the, the, the Pakistani government, which is basically being run from West Pakistan. <laughs> which um, is the, the state today is Pakistan. Okay. Um, so Pakistan at that time was, was strangely, it was, it was two completely separate territories with India in the middle. Um, maybe this was a situation that was never really gonna last, but what happened then, there was a great struggle um, and um, the Bengalis were being suppressed. There was basically a genocidal conflict. Um, there was a huge amount of suffering. There was, it was a liberation struggle Um, and, um, in, you know, Ravi heard the news of, you know, with with the sort of floods of refugees streaming out of Bangladesh into India, into West Bengal, Ravi, you know, his his family hailed from that part of Bengal. They were East Bengalis. He still had relatives in that part of, um, the world. Um, he felt it very personally, you know, he, he, he was, you know, he was very deeply troubled about it. And, um, So yeah, that, that, um, that summer in LA in 1971, he, he told George about it Uh, and George could see, you know, how, how upset Ravi was and and Ravi's initial idea was, you know, well, maybe I, maybe I could play a a sort of fundraising concert and raise, you know, $50,000 or whatever it is, you know, and George, and this is a sort of mark of his friendship and generosity and, you know, um, seeing the big picture, said, "Well, no, look, I'll come on board, and you know we can make a bigger thing of it." And I think he was really inspired by uh, actually by the example of John Lennon, who had shown him how you could use the fame of being a Beatle for causes that were important to you. You know, so if we think about all the causes, you know, the bed ins and so on for peace that John had been involved in, and. Um, so George understood he could, you know, this, this, the fame of being a Beatle, which was such a weight for George, you know, that it was positive and it was negative, you know, um, but here he saw was one way he could use it for good. And so he really threw his weight behind that concert as, you know, and it became this, um, all-star lineup. Indian music very important though. And of course, they opened the show with Ravi playing with Ali Barkan, uh, another great Indian musician, uh, and al and, um, uh, yeah, I think Ravi really enjoyed it. You know, I think, you know, he was very, very moved by the fact that this was all going on for the cause of Bangladesh, the Bengalis. Um, and, you know, Ravi played the key role in inspiring that. And then George sort of picked it up and created it. Mm. You know, so it was it was their, their joint creation. Uh, I think Ravi really enjoyed it. Yeah, and he, he sat throughout the whole sort of rock part of the concert. By that, By that time, you know, he's much more familiar with rock and pop music and you know he 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 likes things you know there are plenty of things he likes he didn't like the fact that everyone was smoking on stage you know <laughs> it's just one of these sort of things that uh whenever he used to play a, a recital he would ask the audience no smoking wow you know, and, and during the concert and you know this 1971 it, it's actually quite funny if you look at the concert now everyone is smoking on stage yeah. it's you know it's a Now it looks really strange to us, but absolutely the whole place is a chimney, you know (laughs) But Ravi's there. Yeah, he's watching in in, in the front row Um, uh, I think maybe just in the evening concert because of course they played two concerts in one day Yeah, but yeah, you know, he was he was very moved
0: In a slight contrast to that experience for Ravi. I wanted to just talk about the dark horse tour which George undertakes Mm. in 1974 um, which actually is a for me personally it's a really fascinating kind of month in any of the Beatles lives it was just such a strange yeah. looking back now uh, it's such a strange kind of concept that this guy that was you know the the one least used to and happy maybe touring certainly or, or you know going in front of people and at that point the other Beatles certainly hadn't toured America he undertakes this this jaunt across across America um and Ravi's there with him, uh, you know, it, it's looked back on now with some quite negative opinions. George certainly wasn't in good voice, should we say. Um, and I think that, you know, it's, it's his version of In My Life, where he changes the lyrics to, you know, In My Life, um, I Love God and, More, which is, yeah. you know, quite a, an interesting uh, adaptation of that particular song. Um, and Ravi's there with him, and you say in the book that at the end of it, they decide that they, they must never do this again. Uh, they must never undertake something like this again, even though, obviously, they would go on to work together many times after that. What was it that led them both, and obviously particularly Ravi, to kind of come to that conclusion?
1: Well, perhaps, if I just talk first about the tour itself and, yeah, and it. how they came to be doing it. I mean, I think actually it's much more surprising that George would go out on tour with with a rock band in a way okay. than that he would, he would want to put Ravi on tour because he, he was such a supporter of Ravi. And actually, uh, the year before, he had um, played a key part in um, an album that Ravi recorded in LA called Shankar Family and Friends, which George is on and, and producing it. Um, you know, he had he, he, uh, also helped Ravi's movie Raga, a feature film, documentary about Ravi, um, come out in 1971, shortly after the Bangladesh. I mean, this is a period where George was, was repeatedly doing lots of things to help Ravi's career. It was like the sort of the high point of their collaboration really. Hmm. Um, and I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still a bit, um, surprising as you say that George, you know, he didn't like this, um, didn't like this attention on him. I, I wonder whether, um, you know, he liked the idea of taking all these musicians over to, in, to uh, the West uh, for the tour, all these Indian musicians. Um, he, he, he again uh, cited Navarra Ranga, this Ravi's um, ensemble piece that I talked about. Uh, in the program, he, he cites that as being the inspiration for this and he, want, he basically wanted to do Navarra Ranga live. Before the American tour, they, they come over for a few concerts in Europe, they play the Royal Albert Hall as an Indian ensemble concert. And George introduces it, but you don't have his band there as well. Mm. Um, and then they go on to America and this sort of combined. Well, it was George's tour, but Ravi's um, musicians sort of play about about a quarter of the concert is them. And you know that that uh, was had a quite a mixed response from the audience. Some people liked it. Quite a lot of people felt it didn't work. You know, uh, and of course there was there was lots of other music on there. You know, you had. to, People like Tom Scott and Billy Preston doing their songs. It was kind of review, really. Mm. Like you know, like is that that sort of concert? George just wanted like all his friends up on stage, and you know. And I think in retrospect we can sort of understand that because you know he went on to do like the Travelling Wilburys, and you know he liked that kind of scenario where you had all your mates on stage, and you, you know, Billy Preston got a spot, and mm. and, and and of course the concert for George is you know the same kind of format, mm. you know. So. I think that's probably what's going on in George's mind, you know, okay. but of course um, in 1974, the audience, the most important thing is this is the first Beatles to tour America since the Beatles split up, you know, and Bill Graham's their promoter. And of course he wants, he wants Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. So, um, you know, that, <laughs> there are a lot of tensions going on there, you know, plus George's voice and he wasn't particularly well. And so there were quite a lot of brutal reviews. There were also some very good reviews I came across. I mean, okay. you know, I, I found some really, really, Um, positive reviews as well Um, and but then you know Ravi also found it very stressful he wasn't really used to this way of touring with a massive entourage and flying around in a in a private jet that George put on for them you know with an ohm sign on the nose cone and (laughs) you know like you know the the, George really looked after them very well they all you know sort of five-star hotels everywhere of course and Ravi took some great Indian musicians out there, but it wasn't really the sort of way he was used to performing. And I think he found it stressful being responsible for all these other musicians who were um, probably having a whale of a time. Mm. Um, and, and Ravi ends up having a, a minor heart attack in the middle of the tour. You know, so, <laughs> you know, I think this is why I felt that, you know, they really felt they couldn't do it again. You know, that sort yeah. of thing. Again, you know, I think George, George just decided that didn't work for him. Um, Olivia Harrison told me that you know, that, you know the, the, if, the, if, the, if the promoter had understood the kind of person George was they wouldn't have booked him that kind of tour where you're basically playing a concert every day or sometimes mm. twice a day people don't tour like that these days no. well of course nobody's touring like nobody's to touring at all at <laughs> the moment but, but you know uh, later on you know artists realised that they didn't have to do it in that way that they, mm. could, they could dictate slightly more manageable schedules and, 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 and so on so I think all in all it was just not you, you know it, it, there were some great ideas there but um, and I think a lot of people enjoyed concerts but um, neither of them really wanted to repeat it in that way right, you know, right. okay if that makes sense just
0: just moving on to um, the 80s and the 90s now uh, obviously after the that tour had finished I was just wondering you know what the level of friendship was between george and ravi you know through that period um there's a lovely moment i'm sure you've seen it in the living in the material world film the scorsese film about george the the second half of the film which is for me the real really interesting part of it mm. um whether they, you might better me what it's from they're filming at fry park there's some kind of party or gathering at Fry park yeah it's in the 80s and mid 80s and, and Ravi's there and, and George asked him this question about you know almost like a philosophical question um and you know even by that point so 20 years or so into their friendship you know he still looks at Ravi with you know such you know he's still so fascinated by his answer um mm-hmm. uh, if you could yeah, how close were they through those those years
1: I think they remain very very close um I think they didn't see each other quite as much, you know, so post 74 tour and they'd obviously seen a lot of each other. They'd been touring, they'd been re- recording albums together and so on. Uh, but I think, you know, they still George went out to India or Ravi, you know, Revi was still touring. He was still, he was still a major artist. Um, mm-hmm. But after that period it was really, he made, a, he made a big point of just playing classical okay. concert halls. And he sort of reverted to that, but he realized that was where he was, more comfortable. Um, But he was still tall. So he would come through UK or America and they would meet up. Um, I think probably not as much as they had been, but there was, was, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a problem. Um, There's a nice moment when George's son Danny was born in 78 when Ravi came by Friar Park and they recorded a little private song, um, Oh Danny, um, uh, together, you know, uh, George uh, played on Ravi's Album Tanamana, Mana, which uh, was released in 1987. There's a, in fact, there's a track called Fry Park on that. Okay. Um, so they, they, they played together there, one or two other things. Um, I think it was just at a kind of lower level of intensity. And G- George, you know, it obviously sort of retreated a bit from the music industry in the early 80s. And, you know, he was sort of, not that that would necessarily make a difference, I suppose. I, I, don't, I don't think there was, a, you know, um, ever a problem. I th- and I think their relationship was, was very deep. You know, as you mentioned from that video. Mm. Um, and then I think it just slightly intensifies in the nineties. Um, George said that um, Ravi, Ravi had a son, Shubo, who died uh, in 1992 okay. uh, and he was only 50. And I think George, you know, he felt so much for Ravi at that point and, uh, Ravi, you know, and he really sort of, I think he almost became a bit more of the uh, um, replacement son that he, you know, he'd already sort of got that role a bit already with Ravi. There was, this, there was that sort of, he often said that, you know, they had a, a kind of their relationship was partly sort of father-son and partly mates, mm. but also almost like the roles reversed. Sometimes uh, George was the kind of advisor to Ravi because, you know, he'd, he'd had all this sort of, you know, music business experience and he could basically advise Ravi on some of that sort of stuff and try to look out for him. Uh, so it was a kind of deep relationship on many different levels. Um, and, but I think it kind of intensified in the nineties, probably after Shubo died. Okay. Uh, and around the time I met him in 94, you see, they were very close, uh, straight after I met Ravi in 94, um, and in fact, before I met George at Fryer Park, uh, they went off on holiday together. Their families went off to Rajasthan in India, um, the whole families. So Danny was there mm. and Anushka Shankar who was 13 at the time. Um, and they, you know, they travel to lots of nice places in Rajasthan. They hear uh, some great folk musicians and so on. And um, uh, that's a real mark of their, their friendship. Yeah. You know, and um, they made al- the album together chance of India, which was actually happening while I was working on um, Raghuram with Ravi. Okay. And uh, at one point um, uh, Ravi was staying at Fry Park with George. They were, they'd recorded the album. Um, most of it, or the latter part of it, anyway. In the first of all, they recorded did sessions in in um, Madras, as it then was, uh, in I think early early 1996, and then they finished it at Fry Park okay. uh, that summer. And then Ravi stayed on while they were mixing it, and he and uh, he invited me up more than once to to work on the book. So we went up and did some sessions at Fry Park, and I can remember, you know, every now and again. Ravi would get called down to the, um, you know, to the control room where George and his engineer, uh, John Etchalls had produced another mix and we'd go and have a listen, you know, it was great, yeah. <laughs> wow. um, while they were recording that. And it sounded absolutely fabulous. You know, it's a, uh, and it's an album that George really loves working on because it's Indian chants that had been, um, arranged by Ravi. Mm. Uh, it's a really, really great, powerful album. Um, Maybe not to everyone's taste, but I think I think a lot of people would, would love it. You know, it's um, and and George really really loved that mm. that um, a, a type of Indian music. You know, that really sort of tied together all this music and spirituality.
0: Just 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 as a slight aside, over the course of your time working on uh, the autobiography and just being around Ravi, did did, did the other Beatles ever come into conversation? Did he have a friendship or any any kind of relationship with with paul or ringo at all
1: um well he, he had met and known them all um okay. there was a kind of uh, but it was much closer with george um uh i think but i think yeah it was friendly you know i mean paul um uh paul has said lots of nice things about ravi um there's a lovely photo of them together at the uh, when love was premiered in must have been in Las Vegas. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where you see them, see them together. I think that was okay. it at the, at the opening. Uh, they had, you know, they had a, a kind of good connection um, and, and with Ringo as well. Definitely. Yeah. He was friendly with Ringo. But uh, I mean, I, di- I didn't meet uh, Paul or Ringo. No. I met George. I met George quite a lot of times, um, whether at Fry Park or Robbie's concerts, that kind of thing. And mm. Um, but um, so he had a, he had a, a good connection but i think that it was so much deeper with george it was yeah. it was it was re- he was really george's friend you know and
0: that brings us quite nicely onto the final part of, of my question so I, I just wanted you to maybe speak a little bit about george's relationship with ravi after he became ill and, and in george's kind of final years um, you, you you know you write i think quite beautifully in a book um, about some of the times that they they spent together. Obviously, George has this, you know, the initial cancer diagnosis, that, which he you know he, he gets over. It it appears, and then there's the you know the night at the end of 1999 where he's attacked, and then obviously that that cancer comes back. Um, you know, I, I get the sense from from the book that Ravi was was really um, quite close with George, in particular, right at the end of, of George's life.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think. Um yeah through the through the cancer through that awful brutal attack yeah i mean i i i mean there's a there's a letter i think it was a fax that that, that ravi sent to george immediately after the attack you know that, that, that i saw um mm. and after the attack um george did go and stay with ravi at one point and ravi uh played a private recital for him um i think that was in switzerland from memory i may be wrong about that okay. um it was a very important relationship to both of them, you know. And, and um, yeah, Ravi was there right at the end. He, he, uh, he visited him in LA. It was basically to say goodbye, sat at his bedside. And um, that was the day before George mm. died. Mm. Um, so it was a very deep friendship on both sides, you know. And I think that people sometimes ask me whether it really was or, you know, you know whether, you know, I think that sometimes it was an assumption that it was a sort of 60s Friendship of Convenience or something like that. But uh, if you know George, you know that this was a really serious thing, you know, the whole connection. And then specifically with Ravi, it was like, it's, it's such a deep friendship. Well, it's,
0: yeah. been, it's been a thoroughly uh, enjoyable hour or so, Oliver. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed this. Um, I think there's, the book is uh, Indian Sun, uh, The Life and Music of Ravi Shankar. There's an awful lot in there about George and the Beatles but it's also an awful lot more which i think hopefully everyone will will enjoy um so oliver thank you so much for your time
1: thanks so much joe i enjoyed it too great mm-hmm.